Monarch, Legacy of Monsters, an Apple original series. The world is on fire. I decided to do something about it. On November 17th. This place, it's not ours. Believe me. The most massive event of the year arrives. But if you come with me, you'll know everything, I promise. Oh my God, go, go, go! Monarch, Legacy of Monsters. Streaming November 17th, only on Apple TV+. Apple Card is the credit card created by Apple. You earn 3% daily cash back up front when you use it to buy a new iPhone 15, AirPods, or any products at Apple. And you can automatically grow your daily cash at 4.15% annual percentage yield when you open a high-yield savings account. Apply for Apple Card in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings is available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Member FDIC. Terms apply. What is going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. On today's episode, we have John Henry on the show. John Henry started his first business at 18 years old, which was an on-demand dry cleaning service for the film and TV industry in New York City. He led the company through its acquisition in 2014, founding and selling his first business by the age of 21 years old. He then co-founded venture capital firm Harlem Capital and raised over $40 million and made 17 investments in women and minority entrepreneurs in his time there. That being said, before we dive into the episode, I want to give a big shout out to Hugo Sanchez for connecting me with John. Hugo's been a mentor for myself and for John Henry, and we talk about how John actually met Hugo and what an impact that that one connection made on his life. So before we jump into it, please take a moment to share this episode with a friend, post it on your Instagram story, tag John, tag myself, and last but not least, enjoy the episode. All right, what is going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young Podcast. Today, we have John Henry on the show. Thanks so much for coming on the show, John. Yeah, man. Pleasure to be on. So first off, John, um, I am super impressed with your story. You've not only sold a company at 21, but what you've built at Harlem Capital and everything you guys are doing in that community in Harlem is just absolutely amazing. And for those that may not know what it is that you're up to, I'd love for you to give us a quick just update on what you're currently working on before we dive into the story. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, right now, I am um, in the phase of my life where I'm focused on accumulating assets. Um, I've been through a number of businesses from venture capital funds to on-demand types of companies, incubators, um, and I've emerged from that with a renewed sense of how important it is to own assets um, because it just sets you up to kind of hit your peak potential down yep. the road in your life. So that's what I'm working on now. Um, and that could be through real estate. That could be through um, operating businesses, buying yep. them, building brands, media, TV deals, you name it. If it fits in there, I'm doing it. For sure, man. And I know that um, the other day when we were uh, chatting with Hugo, um, we were talking about just the current environment of the economy and how things have shifted. And I know that you had just an interesting perspective there. So I'd love for you to touch on just, you know, how have 
How has the current situation of the economy changed your business and what you're doing with lockdown, being in New York and how everything was shut down? How's it been for you? Yeah, um, it's a crazy time, you know, crazy time for not just me, but for, you know, the, the world at large, which is what makes this moment in time so, specific, you know, just so distinct. I mean, in 08, we had a Wall Street crisis, you know, where the stock boys got a little too uh -huh. far ahead of their skis, packaging up, you know, shitty loans and making them yep. look good and selling them for a premium. And when that collapsed, you know, the bailouts were mostly for Wall Street, um, which, you know what, they deserve because they got into their own hot water in the first place. But this, man, this is different. This is for Main Street. This is a Main Street crisis where regular people with regular jobs across the spectrum, hospitality, retail, yep. um, oh my gosh, events, live performances, Disney. I mean, yeah. this has just been on an unprecedented scale, um, a massive you know, interruption in life and business. And it's meant a lot of different things for a lot of different people. For me, <clears throat> I definitely have been fortunate to be in a strong position during a time like this because yep. of the way that I can earn income. However, it's got me feeling like, man, um, I'm just extra mindful because I have people in my direct family that, you know, have to go and clock in and work. Yeah. And it's just so evident to me, man, that there's two different realities yeah. And um, I'm just walking away of with this feeling like, OK, I have a responsibility since I have developed a certain business acumen and I can make deals happen and I can yep. raise capital like I have a responsibility to have outsized impact via my business venture ventures. So I don't know what that yet looks like, but I just that's how I'm feeling as of late is yeah. like guys like you and I whom have been fortunate to be exposed to a lot of stuff early. Yep. Um, we got to keep, we got to pass that on, you know, hundred percent. How did you get involved with venture capital? Cause I know that's something like myself, yeah. I, I eventually want to get into that industry and yeah, I'm yeah. like, wow, I learned a lot through you just through your posts and what you talk about, but how did that, yeah. you know, come into your life? <laughs> I love it, man. I mean, VC is super hot uh, space. So I, I definitely, it's definitely sexy. I definitely get the alert. <laughs> um, and you know, I got into it because, um, I had already been in business a little while and this and that, and had tried different things, but, um, me and a few friends got, to, that's really all it is. It, it was me and a few friends got together. And at first we were just like, man, let's put some, some cash to work. Yep. And we didn't have a whole lot of money, but I could save up three K. And so could, you know, at that, at that time I had four other partners. So yep. we, all four of us saved up three K a pop. And before you know it, we put together 15 to 20,000 yep. and, you know, we came up with a cool name at the time, yeah. you know, Harlem Capital, Harlem Capital Partners, shortened to Harlem Capital later. But, you know, we, and the name could be whatever you want it to be, but you come up with a little name, you come up with a point of view. I'm going to invest in just esports, or I'm going to invest in cafes or yep. whatever it was. And you invest that cash on behalf of this new entity that you created, right? Yep. And voila, you've made your first angel investment. And what you'll find is, you know, you'll probably lose more money than you'll make <laughs> when you start. But actually, the real thing to, to walk away from is the act of investing. 
So it was not the about, it's not about the amount of money. It's just like, even if it's small dollars, it's the act of looking for founders. Some founders will give you a really good feeling. Some will make you a little nervous. Yeah. Some you'll like, but you won't like that business that they're working on. Some, and then you meet some where it's just like, man, this is a, a good fit. Let's give this a shot. Yeah. And you put cash in and pretty much what you'll find is you fast forward that. And all of a sudden we were angel investors and we yeah. were still yeah. to us, we were just regular people, you know, putting our cash together. But then you start being seen that way. And then you start potentially being interested in, yo, can, can I raise a fund and do this on a big scale? Um, and anyway, man, that's, that's kind of how you get into That's how I've gotten into anything that I've done. Yeah. Before I had a TV show, I had a podcast. And before the podcast, I had a blog. And before the vlog, I was just doing iPhone videos. Yep. Before running a big VC fund, we were just investing our own cash. Yep. You know, and so I just really believe in finding the baby step version of what it is that you want to do and starting there and letting momentum run its course and get you bigger down the road. I love that. That was the most simplistic, like easy to understand version of starting a VC fund that I've ever heard, by the way. <laughs> That's so tough. Well, like, what's that pivoting point like when it, when it comes down to, hey, you know, you and a couple buddies, you start your own fund, but then you go raise a large round. Like, what is what? What goes through your mind? What do you have to prepare for? Because it just completely changes the landscape of the business. So how did you guys adapt to raising a big fund? And what have you learned from that? It does, man. And that's a great question because there definitely is a tangible, tangible difference um, from when you're running it kind of lightly to when you decide, hey, I'm going to do this. Yep. And, you know, when we decided, hey, we're going to go for it, it actually ruptured the team a little bit because the team actually used to be a little bit bigger because it was a little bit of a lighter commitment. And yep. so you could have people hang around. But when the core four partners, when, you know, we set course, new course, and we set a new pace for the intensity that we wanted to have. And that now it wasn't um, uh, friction in the way that the rest of the team um, departed, but it was more so like, hey, we didn't sign up for this was how they were coming at it. And we understood because yep. you're making a mental commitment that this is going to be something new. And um, what that does is, man, it it um, renews the intensity, the time commitment, the focus, um, how much you think about it, um, all this stuff, man, in preparation of, we knew that we were going to go out and raise this big round. Well, it wasn't just like we decided we were going to raise a big round. So you start raising right away. Yeah. It, it was, it was actually more, we know we're going to raise a big round. Where do we got to be mm -hmm. to, to where do we got to be so that when we go raise a round, it'll go well for us. Yeah. And so we committed to this, this planning phase and I call it planning only loosely. Like we were plotting we were still doing our deals but now we had a new north star and we packaged everything and we got smart around the industry and then when we yep. finally hit that point we said all right you know what it's it's officially it's time yeah and just to give you like a tangible sense um we went to market with version 107 of our deck wow <laughs> meaning we refined our pitch deck 107 time no way which, yeah which which i wouldn't recommend for a startup because a startup <laughs> is a smaller endeavor so you, you probably go to market with v7 v15 v20 yeah but we were seeking to do something massive so we refined uh you know a hell of a lot 
Um, and by then we had some initial people close to us that participated at first. Yep. And then it was like, all right, we're still pretty far from our target. How are we going to go do it? And, um, you know, then there's a whole grind that kind of totally. comes with that. But, um, but to hit on your, your latter question too, which was, um, Hey, what did you learn from it? I learned a number of things. One is, um, the way that you package the business says a lot about you as an operator. Yep. And I, it's not so much about the deck itself. Let's say if you're, yeah. if we're like going to specifically speak on raising capital, it's not really about the deck. It's about the thought process that went behind crafting the materials. Yep. Right. And as an investor right now at home capital, we saw a thousand deals literally a year. Okay. So it's, you start to get really, you know, keen on who's got it or whatever. Yep. And you can usually tell when someone was thoughtful around how they crafted it. You know, it's not about copying and pasting info and putting it together and copying the order that you saw online <laughs> when you downloaded the template. Yeah. Yeah, I can see through that. It's more like I want to see how it is that you're thinking about how you're going to run your biz, enter into the market, have your own angle. How are you going to go about pulling the right people together? Who do you even think are the right people to have on your team? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, we'll live in the deck. And and so for me, first, second and third is like craft, get good at crafting decks because um, you're going to spend a lot of time behind them if you're going to raise cash. I, I love that. That, that. that was very tangible for sure. I, I want to change gears to the TV show, right? Because you're you're seeing a thousand deals a year. You're investing in different companies. How do you have time to be on a TV show? And how did that come into your life? Man, um uh, the TV show was bizarre. I had someone reach out and Casey, I don't know if you're getting these opportunities. I'm sure that you are starting to get them if you're not already, uh, where people reach out and they're like, yeah. Hey, you know, we had you in mind for whatever. And it's, it was just one of those things where some TV producer that I'd never heard of from wow. the West coast reached out. I, I had already went through something like that and it was like a false start. Yep. So I was already a little weary. And, um, but she reached out to my friend, Marcus Samuelson, who runs the red rooster. He's a pretty well-known um, uh, restaurateur and celebrity chef and stuff. Okay. And so she had a mutual connection. So I heard her out and yeah, she's like, Hey, look, LeBron James um, is doing an entrepreneur type of show that there were a couple of people, larger celebrities that yep. established the trend that culture was going to be infusing with entrepreneurship. It was 2015, 26, okay. 2016, I would say. And so she said, hey, I want to do the same thing because I think we have room to sell a show here. However, instead of going and creating some game show type of thing, <laughs> I want to root the show around someone whom is already active in this space and doing something meaningful. At that time, I was running Co-Found Harlem and Incubator. And so she is a, a very seasoned uh, TV exec from the West Coast. She produced Pimp My Rides, oh, to wow. give you an example. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she's got some cops. And so she sold me on that. And she and she was like, look, come along for the ride. Give me your rights for one year mm. and give me the right to go and pitch a show and hustle a show. If nothing happens in a year, all good. Yeah, yeah. If it does, then you come along for the ride. So she did what's called TV packaging, which is you, you find junior talent, which is me and you, and you find senior talent, which is the big celebrity name. So she found Alicia Keys and Marcus oh, wow. Anderson. Yep. And then she created the concept. So it, that's the that's the holy trinity there in TV. Okay. You got a tight concept, senior talent, junior talent. You you come up with the show name and pretty much just like raising money for a startup, 
you go knock on doors at yeah. networks. And then Vice was like, yo, this is kind of lit. We can put our own twist on it. Yeah, yeah. And before you knew it, they shot, they, uh, they bought the pilot. So we shot a pilot. And then they had to commit to picking it up for season one, which they did. And it was a wild run, man. We were screened in eight countries internationally. Wow. Here, Germany, uh, France, Israel, uh, Canada. The States, That's so crazy. Know, um, billboards. Yeah, like, I, remember just, you, I remember you posting all the billboards in New York. I was like, that is so dope. <laughs> dude, dude. To, I'm just, I haven't thought about it in a long time, but to drive down Times Square and like see a billboard. Oh, dude, yeah. I was having a bad day one day and I was like late for a meeting. I was rushing to it. And I caught the train and I was there like grabbing the post and I looked up and there was a billboard of me on the, and I was like, bro, perspective, man. How can yeah. I be upset or mad at something when like we're out here doing work, man? So totally. that was a crazy ride, man. And for anyone interested in that kind of field, the number one thing I would say is blog, 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 because before Vice made the decision to back the show, their executives sat around the table literally and went through all my YouTube shit. Wow. Because they're like, okay, how is he on camera consistently? Yep. Is he natural? Is he this? Is he da, da 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 And that YouTube set the stage for a bigger platform down the road. Wow. When did you start like putting out content? I know you talked about having a podcast, having a vlog, and we've talked about this before and the importance of that. But when did you start creating content, building a personal brand? Because I know when I first saw your content and everything you were doing, it just caught my attention and you're really good at what you're doing on social and everything that's going on there. But where did that start? Yeah. You know, that started, um, for me, it started back in, I would say when I was running my first business, I, I came across Gary actually, Gary V and I, he taught me the importance of content in your business. Yeah. It was at that time, it was less about personal brand. It was more about like, Yo, you got to take content and work it into your biz. So that's when I started yeah. dabbling my toes after I sold that business. And then I kind of got into the incubator world. I started having a little bit more space to dabble a little bit more. Um, but even then, the scene was really young. Instagram was super young. Yep. Um, Facebook was around. Twitter was more active then for sure. And one thing you'll note is like the platforms constantly change every like five yeah. years. There's a new like zeitgeist, something that just everyone's on, let's say. Yep. And um, I was out of that pocket, I would say. I was making videos, but nothing was hitting. It was more so about just honing my delivery on the medium. Yep. Right. Because right now, when you turn on a mic case, when you turn it on, you still sound natural and normal because you've honed your delivery on the medium. Absolutely. Think about when we first started, the mic was in front of us or the <laughs> oh, camera. Oh, yeah. And you just start, you're like, oh, my God, I'm on camera. Hi, yeah. <laughs> my name is Casey Adams. You know, but with reps, you get more ease and naturalness. So absolutely. That, my first videos was around that. And then, then there just came a time, man, when I just started getting it. And it takes like a year, maybe two of like, experimenting and then it starts locking in and, and then you start finding your own style your own voice your own subject matter that you feel comfortable speaking on yep. people start fucking with it and then people start sharing it and you get one piece that kind of doesn't maybe go super crazy viral but it goes a little bit more about maybe for me that first piece was like it, it got like twenty five thousand views or thirty thousand views okay when i was normally getting a thousand Yep. Boom. I got this big spike. I was like, okay, I went away. My average went up to like four or 5,000 because you get a new 
influx of like totally. listeners and fans. And then one thing that really changed the game for me too was um, being a really avid speaker. Like going, there's nothing that can replace going and speaking to a room full Absolutely. of people and like connecting with them. Cause then when they follow you on social, it's not like, oh, I kind of heard about the guy. It's like, yo, I remember that time. Yeah, yeah. Going. And so I went and I spoke all across the country for one, two, three years. And my, my net just started getting bigger. By the time the TV show came, you know, it really locked me in. So absolutely. Yeah. That's so cool, man. And I, I wanted to also, you know, address, um, you know, a mutual f a relationship of ours, because I know a lot of young entrepreneurs listen to the show and you're talking about raising money and TV show. They're like, okay, he's crushing the game. Well, where did this start? And I, I do want to, yeah, 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 yeah. we're recording this podcast on an app called Modi, which um, Hugo Sanchez and the whole Modi team, they created something amazing. And I know that Hugo was a, a mentor in your life. When he, when he first told me the story, I was like, that is so incredible. So I'd love for you to just dive into for a little bit how you got started in everything you were doing because your story is incredible how one person or one situation can just change your perspective on how you're going to build your life. Yeah, man. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, shout out to Hugo, man, who's a, a dear brother to me. Um, and, you know, I actually had in mind to uh, to lead and open up with our mutual uh, connection friend and mentor, Hugo, because that is the glue here. Um, and then I just forgot in the heat in the moment. But um, yeah, man, it's super bizarre. We have an interesting touch point that that connects us because yeah, um, well before I was in business or any of the stuff. And you know what? Thanks for putting a finger on that because I don't I don't realize how uh, like TV show and all this the stuff that I'm doing now sounds far ahead compared to like when we started. Let's say yeah, but yeah, it's good to be in touch with those roots, man. I was the doorman. I was working behind a desk, a regular job. I was going to school. I was 18 years old. Yeah. You know, hungry, hungry. <laughs> I wanted to make anything work, man. It didn't yep. matter what it was. And yeah, I met this brother whom um, he parked in the building where I worked and he lived right across the way. And um, he ran a chain of dry cleaners. And I just remember the thing that stood out ago was not um the whip and the ice that he definitely had <laughs> it was it was more how he made people feel and Absolutely. the other door mind you i was new in this building right and i'm going and i'm clocking in and i'm learning the building it was a massive building by yep. the way it's 337 units really really big building and um so it's very intimidating you're clocking in and you're put in the middle of this enormous lobby there's people in and out you kind of got to know what to do who to greet da -da -da. yeah it's a pretty high stakes, I would say, kind of job. Um, but um, um, the doorman would say, okay, this this guy is this way. You know, this is the, this person. And yeah. Kind of fill you in. That's the owner. You know, he hates when you do whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then Hugo would pop up on the scene and people would be like, yo, that's Hugo. What's good? <laughs> like, I really want race. And like, they're like, yo, that's our dude, man. He does all the dry clean for everyone. You always recommend him. I was yep. like, okay, bet. And I carry that torch because he made me feel that way. Fast forward, though. Um, um, yeah, he was just really passionate about helping me see more for myself than I saw for myself. And even at that time, I I knew I, I had grand vision. I didn't have a manifestation of that vision. I just knew I wanted something. I knew something big was in store for me and that I wanted something big in store for me. And I met a guy who believed that something big was in store for me yeah. and whom did he offered me the uh, a path that 
he had available to him. Yep. Right. If Hugo was in, uh, was a Wall Street trader, he would have got me into stocks. <laughs> if he was a video editor, he would have got me into that. Yeah. But what he had available to him was building businesses. And at that time, like a big laundromat enterprise. And he would pick me up after my shift. We would ride around in his M5 Beamer. <laughs> and like we would just, I would make runs with him. And yeah. See what it was like. All my days off, I would go and chill with Hugo. Yeah. And ride around with him and, and make him see, you know, see him do his thing. So anyway, point is, um, yeah, man, it was enough, not because of it wasn't an industry that I fell in love with the other market or the, anything technical. What I fell in love with was how Hugo was able to maintain his his sense of self and independence. Yeah. Like, bro, we were we were in a pretty affluent area. And yeah. there are a lot of people that live a pretty buttoned up life in exchange for the type of life that it can afford you. Totally. And here I saw someone that was still like, yo, fuck the law. Yeah. He was still so himself and he was really getting it. Yeah. And it made me feel like, yo, I, I want to be like this. And so I stepped into that world and, you know, over time I found my own version of what that means. Totally. But I'm forever deeply um, grateful to Hugo for that. And I think it's just bizarre that we share that connection. I know, 100%, man. It's so you know, tight. And, and, and when he first told me that story, too, because like I was, I followed you and I was learning about your story. And then Hugo told me that. I was like, the world is so small. Like, what? But, but I, I think I want to say this to say this. And it's like, you know, all it takes is one person or one conversation to change your complete perspective. And I'd love for you to touch on, you know, the importance of mentorship along your journey, whether that comes to raising capital and talking to experienced VCs or whatever it is. Just how have mentors played a role in your journey? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, man. And you're right, you know. Um, mentorship has played uh, an important role in my life. Um, I've had a nuanced, interesting, uh, nuanced relationship with mentorship where, where at first it took someone to get me to, to give me a blueprint like yep. Hugo. Um, and then, um, one thing that happened for me is it got really convenient to always hit up your mentor when you're tough when you're faced with a tough decision yeah you know because you don't yet have that confidence in yourself to execute it and so it's you know it's really great to have someone to like counsel you however it does turn into a crutch at some point where it did for me where like i started i started realizing that anytime i had a tough decision i was calling my mentor yeah. and kind of i then realized I, I'm, I was outsourcing my ability to make decisions mm. and it wasn't about being right or wrong so much as it was about nurturing your ability to make the call, even yeah. if it's wrong or right. It's just, you got to make the call. Yeah, so yeah. I swung the opposite end of the spectrum where then I went completely away from mentorship. And I was like, I got to hone my own gut, my own ability to make decisions and, and so forth. And so it's been this swinging pendulum the whole time because yeah. then when I hit a new level, you know, I find myself, you know, looking to uh, bring in someone whom, you know, can show me the ropes, you know, at a, on a different industry or whatever the case is. So, yeah, man, it's important to anyone young out there, though. Here, listen to me on this. Don't go out there, like, proactively looking for a mentor and, like, asking, oh, you, you want to be my mentor? Because that, to <laughs> me, is not authentic. For me, yep. when you walk the path, you meet the mentors along the way. Yep. Because not everyone is out there anyway, putting out all their business and like, you know, 
certain people might see me, might see you, might see Gerard Adams or whatever as mentors, but we're in this space of like broadcasting, you know? Yeah. There are so many real ones that don't say shit. Absolutely. You know, are got way more chops than us. Yeah. And you meet them when you're on the path. Yep. So for me, lock in on the work. And by the way, what makes someone want to mentor you anyway is when they see someone whom is growing and putting in the effort and it's not right all the time, but they're really giving it an honest shot. And that's what made, you know, my relationship with Hugo special. And then later on, I had another mentor, Tomazo, and another mentor, Ming, yeah. who each taught me very different things about myself. But the common through line was I was always actually doing stuff and they always actually wanted to help. Yep. And another thing is don't accept any mentors whom charge you. Any mentor Absolutely. who charges you is full of shit. They are selling you a dream because the real yep. ones, they give the game away like nothing because they're confident in their own value. I love that. That was powerful, man, for sure. Last question before we wrap up. And uh, it being, number one, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm turning 20 years old. And I want to ask you. How, how, some, how old? 20. <laughs> You're turning 20 years how, old? How old did you think oh I was? <laughs> Wait, how old did oh you think I was? That literally took me a moment to process. <laughs> I was like, I was waiting for you to finish the like 20 what? <laughs> oh my God, crazy. So yeah, I mean, I knew you were young and I, like, I know you told me your age before, but that fades away with yeah. time. And then I just thought you were like 23, 24 I'm or something dead. like that. But damn, Dude, that's I love wild, it. bro. I appreciate it. Happy, well, happy birthdays. Hey, birthday hey I appreciate it. I mean, the, the question I want to end with is, you know, if you could go back to being 20 years old with all the lessons that you've learned through raising capital, through selling your business. What would you tell your younger self based on what you've learned so far? I would say, Hey man, you're going to get swing big and you're going to get wrecked for swinging big. You're going to get less wrecked than someone who swung small. You're going to want to, abandon the big things that you're going after because medium or even small uh, is happening faster for more people. But swing big, my friend, because um, all you got to do is stay at it long enough and then it starts coming your way and it starts absolutely changing your life and then the life of, more importantly, um, the people that are going to be tuning into what you're doing, following along, your family, yep. your community, and you could really make something special happen if you just swing big. So that's my advice to me still. And that's my advice to me earlier as a yep. way to encourage myself to keep going. Cause there definitely have been some times where it's been hard as fuck, man. And I um, I'm just glad that I never, that I never gave up on it. I love that. Well, John, I just want to say I appreciate the time today, man. Where's the best place for people to stay in touch with everything you got going on? Uh, hit me on the gram, guys. I would I would say hit me on TikTok, but it looks like Trump is shutting that. Dude, I saw. <laughs> so, so hit me on the gram. I'm at John Henry Style. Hit me. Uh, you can also text me. My, my style is in the bio. Um, and yeah, man. Um, yo, Case. Big ups to you, man. You've been blowing up, you know, bright, bright, bright future ahead of you. Um, so I'm off this um, great community venture ground. So guys, thank you for having I me. Appreciate it, John. Rise of the young. <laughs>
Monarch Legacy of Monsters, an Apple original series. The world is on fire. I decided to do something about it. On November 17th. This place, it's not ours. Believe me. The most massive event of the year arrives. If you come with me, you'll know everything, I promise. Oh my God, go, go, go! Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Streaming November 17th, only on Apple TV+. Plus.